We continue in our autumn series of seeking justice together and caring for the vulnerable by reading from the gospel according to Luke, a story about Jesus's return to his hometown of Nazareth to preach in the local synagogue. Let us listen with open hearts and minds to this reflection on communities and hometown heroes. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor And he, and he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you do at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a severe famine all over the land. Yet Elijah was sent to one of them, Except, was sent to none of, them, none of them except to a widow at Zephah in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Namia the, the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up drove him out of the town 
and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. For the good news of Jesus Christ. you pray with me? God of justice, you are for all people, comforting the troubled and troubling the comfortable. Inspire us and challenge us as we hear your word and worship you today. May the words from our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So let's set the scene here. Jesus grew up in lowly old Nazareth, not really famous for anything. This was any town, ancient Palestine. And after beginning his ministry, facing some gnarly temptation in the wilderness and performing some pretty awe-inspiring miracles at Capernaum, news has spread. And folks back home are welcoming him with open arms, beaming with pride. He goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath and reads from the prophet Isaiah to a rapt audience. Honestly, this reminds me a little bit of a couple summers ago when I went back to my hometown in Marshfield and preached a sermon for the church that raised me. Looking at each and every face in the pews, both weathered and smooth, feeling their love and pride at knowing the role that they had played in my ministry. Many of you might relate to that feeling of Jesus's home congregation when you heard our daughter of United Parish, our member in discernment, Lexi Boudreau, preach for us, or if you attended her ecclesiastical council back this summer, or if you will be attending her ordination later next month, or even when you welcome back our former seminarians to preach this summer. It's a really great feeling. So Jesus's home con congregation is simply quelling with pride. I can't believe that's Mary and Joseph's kid. Last time I saw him, he was this tall. I remember when his voice was first starting to break, and now he's here proclaiming the word of the Lord so confidently. I used to babysit him. Look at him now. And not only are they filled with loving pride at their native son, but they are positively vibrating with hope for what Jesus has returned to do, to bring them good news of God's favor. He even tells them as much that what God foretold through the prophet Isaiah is now coming to pass in Jesus's ministry. And then Jesus says, not so fast though, and does something pretty unexpected. I'm gonna use a high school sports metaphor because it feels fitting for the small town vibe I've already got going on a little bit with this. Jesus is the hometown hero. He was the starting quarterback in the big rivalry game. And he was crowned homecoming king at halftime. And then at the start of the second half, he subs in to play for the 
other team after their quarterback is injured. And the hometown lead slowly dwindles down to a tie. Now, Jesus was ready for this reaction, and he's having none of it. He knows the family tea. He knows their foibles and their fatal flaws. He's prepared for their indignation, and he's here to make it known that he's just not having it. He says, hey, listen, I know this town. I grew up here, and it seems like not much has changed. I know how much you love this town and how loyal you are to these people, to the point where sometimes it's hard to get past your identity as the Nazarene narwhals, because that's what I named their football team. It's hard to get past your identity as the Nazarene narwhals and see the bigger picture. He says to them, listen, I know you are all probably going to expect me to perform miracles for you and heal your sick and just because I'm one of you. And I mean, it's not too big a request, right? They raised him to be a Nazarene and are looking for a little loyalty to his roots. Don't forget where you came from, Jesus. You're one of us. We're family and family comes first. And not only do they expect a little family loyalty, but they're pretty sure that Isaiah's words are meant for them, given that they are the ones who have the covenant with God. So isn't this just the end of God's end of the deal? But Jesus reminds them, hey, remember that big famine back in Elijah's time? God sent Elijah to help a widow over in Sidon, not Israel. And that big leprosy epidemic back when Elisha was prophet? Yeah, do you remember how the only person who was cleansed of leprosy was that Syrian guy, Naaman? So surely by now you know the drill. God doesn't pick favorites in this league. The poor and the oppressed, the people most in need of healing, or the people farthest from God get to be first in line. And Jesus' fellow Nazareans are pretty ticked off. I mean, another way of looking at it might be if Jake Auchincloss, our representative, announced in his acceptance speech, hey, I know you've been dealing with a shortage of affordable housing in Brookline and a lack of available overnight parking, and, but this term, I'm going to focus on a bill to subsidize low-income fishers in Fall River. I mean... Didn't he get elected for for Brookline? Aren't we entitled to the time and effort and prioritization of our own representatives? When hometown hero Jesus hands out the priority list and we're not at the top of it or even the top three and tells us to wait in line for our own chunk of the salvation pie, we feel like outsiders when we should feel like the insiders, right? Like the Nazareans, do we ever feel entitled to Jesus' ministry among us? I think the answer is nuanced. When we think about the first shall be last and the last shall be first, we tend to nod in agreement. We tend to say, yeah, if, if my neighbor's house is on fire, we should divert the water to help put it out before I use that water to water my lawn. It's easy to be sympathetic or even empathetic with those whom we pity, with those whose pain is obvious and unearned, let's say. The scriptures name again and again the poor, 
the widowed, the oppressed, the orphaned, the most vulnerable in society. We know that working to end the oppression of the most marginalized is the rising tide that lifts all boats. Policies and practice that, practices that empower the welfare and dignity of our trans siblings, of our indigenous siblings, of our disabled siblings, are policies and practices that benefit all of society. We get that. That's good news 101. We're on that level. Our empathy muscle here at United Parish has had a lot of training. We've gotten pretty comfortable with that aspect of the good news, and that is awesome. But then Jesus, not one to mince words, grabs our hand and bluntly yanks us up to the next level, into that upperclassman seminar, reminding his fellow Nazareans of stories when God's blessing fell on Israel's enemies. We're called to consider a scenario when the outsider that receives Jesus's ministry before us, before us, is a jerk. What if they're not just different from us, not just our rivals, but our bullies? What if they're the ones we hate and for good reason? What if we feel justified in excluding them? What then? You see, as theologian David Lowe's puts it, Luke's gospel reminds us over and over again that God came to redeem everyone. When we focus on redeem, it's good news. When we focus on everyone and call to mind those who we believe have done us wrong, that same line is terrifying. One of the reflection questions I invite you to think a little bit about after this is, who are you really hoping you don't meet in heaven? In being drawn back into God's love, we lose all claims, you see, to why we deserve something and why presumably others do not, as we recognize that deserving simply has no place in the kingdom of God. When we say that nothing can separate us from the love of God, we mean it. When our own sins have stretched us away from our relationship with God, reconciliation back into that relationship, back into that love, can be painful. It requires much of our souls. Feeling, really feeling the pain of remorse isn't pleasant. It can be downright hellish. But it's how we reconnect our souls with our fellow children of God. And that redemption and reconciliation is available to everyone. I think that this is the brutality of the good news. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first, but all shall be redeemed by the love of God. The outsiders, the marginalized, the pitiable, the entitled hometown crowd preoccupied with purity, everyone. For some, redemption means the joy of liberation and relief. For some, redemption may include the burning anguish of remorse. But for all, it's a transformative journey towards wholeness in God's love. That is the good news. Amen. <laughs>